Hello and welcome to Whole and Complete Podcast, the podcast that provides resources on faith and wellness to help people live whole and complete lives. On this podcast is all about loving God and living well, and I am your host, Dr. Shantae. So before I get into this next series, I have to say a big old honk and thank you. If you follow me on social media, then you already know what I'm about to say, but I had given myself a goal that in 30 days, I hope that this podcast would generate 500 downloads because seven months is a long time to be off the air. And that's how long I was kind of radio silent from the Believing Bigger podcast. And you guys sailed past that (laughs) in three days. So not 30 days, three days. So we're well past 500 downloads, which means not only are you listening to it, you are sharing it, you are reviewing it, you are subscribing to it. And my heart is, is just overwhelmed. I'm so grateful that you all are responding to this podcast in such a positive way. And that's something that I'm always going to ask for on this podcast, the highest compliment that you can pay to this platform is sharing it with somebody who needs it. It's my personal mission as a host, as a person, positively impact the lives of a million people before I take my last breath. And it's not like once I hit 1 million, I'll be like, okay, Lord, my job is done here. Um, I hope to live a long life. But what I'm saying is it's, it's such a massive goal because I that's the expanse of the healing that needs to be done on a global level. There are a lot of people that are hurting, that are just walking wounded, that are faking fine. And if I can, in some small measure, because a million people is small when you think about the total expanse of the world. But if in some small measure, I can impact people to love themselves, to understand their worth, to recognize that they are worthy of love and belonging, my work is just exponentially done here. I have fulfilled my calling and that's what I want to do. And so Facebook has algorithms, Instagram has algorithms, but there is no algorithm between your fingers and your friends. If you can hear this message and it positively resonates with you, and if you can share it with them, that is a high compliment. And I totally appreciate you all doing that. So I just wanted to start this podcast episode with a note of thanks. So let's move into our next series, which is called Origin Stories. And I promised that at the end of every series, I was going to open up the opportunity to connect one-on-one. Every series in this podcast is going to offer something called Hope and Healing Sessions. And so at the end of every series, I'm going to open up the vault, so to speak, to connect with five listeners to five people who have heard this and just really want to process what they heard, what they're feeling about it, what's been triggered for them and have someone listen to that in a way that's not judgmental and provide some support and coaching through that. I am not a licensed therapist, but I certainly can refer you to some. But this just kind of gets the ball rolling and gives you some perspectives and some things to think about, some strategies to practice that will give you an opportunity to start doing some of this self-healing work, which is so important. And so if you want to do that, you can go to my website, readytobelieve.com. And because this is brand new and I'm so excited and just grateful for you guys jumping right in there, all of the hope and healing sessions are going to be half the price that they normally would be. And so if you want to sign up for one of those sessions, go to readytobelieve.com and just scroll down and you will see hope and healing sessions, cancer series. And I have five slots available for anyone who wants to take advantage of that. Now, having said that, let's jump right into our next series, which is called origin stories.
And so origin stories, ironically, uh, our guiding scripture for this series is coming out of the origin of the Bible. It's coming out of Genesis chapter 25, verses 23 through 27. And this is what it says. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out and was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So what are we talking about today with origin stories in this series? Well, in today's episode, we are going to be talking about dysfunctional families, mama's boys, love and belonging. So let's get right into it. So more times than not, I'm going to start these series with a definition of terms just so that I'm sure that we're working from the same framework. And so let's start with the definition of dysfunctional family. So a dysfunctional family is a family in which conflict, misbehavior, and often child neglect or abuse on the part of the individual parents occur continuously and regularly, leading other members to accommodate such actions. Children sometimes grow up in such families with the understanding that such a situation is normal. I'm going to repeat this definition. A dysfunctional family is a family in which conflict, misbehavior, and often child neglect or abuse on the part of the individual parent occurs continuously and regularly leading other members in the family to accommodate such actions. Children sometimes grow up in such families with the understanding that such a situation is normal. And so one of the things that is going to be like a broken record in this episode, not just in this episode, but really in this podcast is the examination of patterns. Something that happens every now and then is nothing to be terribly alarmed about because things happen. We're not always at our best, but I'm always going to ask you to re-examine patterns in your life, patterns in your childhood, patterns in your relationship, because when they become patterns, they become normalized. And sometimes they become so normal that we don't recognize that it's happening. This definition of dysfunctional family, listen to some of these words, conflict, misbehavior, neglect, abuse, Too often in families, we normalize dysfunction. We write it off like it's not a big deal. We say things like, look, we ain't the Cosbys. Well, families fight. That's just what they do. Or, you know, families stick together no matter what. And families should stick together. But that no matter what piece, we're going to we're going to problematize that a little bit. Because as I said in the last series, there always seems to be a lot of shame when people are estranged from their families. But I'm never going to advocate someone to stay in a toxic situation. And even though the pain of losing that connection or not having that connection is very real, it's sometimes the lesser evil so that you can maintain some daily sobriety and sanity and mental well-being until that situation or that relationship can be resolved or healed in some way. Uh, We say things like, look, what happens in this family stays in this family. And so Well, it may not be normal for what's happening outside, but it's normal for what's happening in here. And I'm always struck whenever you hear those news stories about children that were chained up in the basement or not allowed to to go outside or were just 
totally neglected, abandoned, and there was and malnourished and things like that, just living in filth. When you see that and you're thinking, oh my goodness, these people must have gotten, these kids must have gotten kidnapped. And then you find out it was the parents that were doing these things. And it's like, what? And the trauma inflicted on those children, there's going to have to be so much work done. So in our last series, uh, Christian Owens talked about that neuroplasticity that happens in our brain based on experiences that we have. So they're going to have to do so much work to try to rewire the brain to say that this is not normal. And so I understand that that's an extreme example, but I'm just saying that all of us have experienced things. Most of us have experienced things. I don't want to use hyperbole. Most of us have experienced things in our families that we just kind of written off as, oh, well, that's just how it is, or that's just how it goes. When in, in fact, in actuality, it doesn't have to be that way. So yes, all families have conflict. Yes, there are times when there is neglect, when parents just don't have, the time or the mental bandwidth to be fully present for their children. That happens. Uh, but when these patterns, keyword here, patterns become a way of life, when these patterns become business as usual, and when these things occur regularly and consistently, that's when it becomes dysfunctional and toxic. So what's the big deal? Why am I bringing this up? What does this have to do with living a whole and complete life? Well, I'm bringing it up because so often we don't recognize how much of our upbringing plays a role in who we become as adults and how it shapes our expectations and our relationships and how our children pick up and inherit our fears and insecurities and lack of confidence. I see this all the time. So children, when you think about it, for the most part, they are like bold and courageous and they don't think in limitations and they're the sky is the limit and they're just so enthusiastic and so ready to kind of kind of take life by the horns and just go for it and go full throttle. And as a parent, you should tamper that because it's for their own good and for their safety. But when our insecurities start to leak out, when things that happen to us in seventh grade and trauma that we experience in seventh grade starts to leak out and seep out into our children. And now we're making them insecure about things that we have not resolved in our insecurity. When we start thinking about our lack of confidence and when we see our child walking around confident and it makes us uncomfortable because that's not a paradigm that we're familiar with. We're not comfortable with somebody being those things because we're not those things, even when it's our own children. I remember reading a quote once that said, a woman will never allow in another woman what she will not allow in herself. A woman will never allow in another woman what she does not allow in herself. And I don't think that's just women. I think that's humans in general. And what that is saying is that there's a level of discomfort. And so if you are a woman who is not secure in herself, a woman who's not confident, a woman who who doubts, sometimes it can be uncomfortable to see or be around a woman who is because you don't recognize that it just seems off putting in some way and you can't quite put your finger on it. But that sort of attitude and that way of being is foreign to you in some way. And so because of that, we tend to distance ourselves from that or we judge it or we shame it or we talk about it or we demonize it in some way because it protects us and allows us to continue to operate in our insecurity, in our lack of confidence, in our own dysfunction. So that's why I'm bringing this up because we don't realize how much of those things that we experienced in our own origin story play a role in who we become as adults, things that we just kind of inherited from our parents. 
And so here in our scripture text, in our story, and for the record, the Bible is like full of dysfunctional families. So if you think like, oh, well, we not the Cosbys. Um, most people are not the Cosbys, okay? And healthy families do exist. Healthy families absolutely do exist. But for those of us who did not come from that place, those of us who originated in a different place, this podcast is to kind of help you sift through some of those things that occurred. So in the Bible, uh, the Bible, the scripture says Isaac and Rebecca, they had a dysfunctional family. So Rebecca became pregnant with twin boys and there was so much disruption in her womb. So I mean, not just babies kicking, like those babies were practically fighting each other in her womb that God told her two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. And the Bible says when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys. The first came out as red, his whole body like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. But the other brother, that is Jacob, the young one, came out grasping his brother's heel, Esau. And so they called him Jacob. And the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, and Jacob was content to stay home among the tents. Isaac, the father, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. So wild game is like hunting wild boar and and meats various meats venison that sort of thing he loved Esau because Esau was so good at at those things and those are the things that his father loved but Rebecca on the other hand loved Jacob which leads us to mama's boys the way that the bible describes them Esau the hairy one the skillful hunter and Jacob content to stay at home Esau was a manly man. He fulfilled all of the expectations and gender roles of a firstborn son in those days. He was outdoorsy. He was a skilled hunter. He was his daddy's favorite. Jacob, on the other hand, was well-groomed. He did not care for the outdoors. He kept to himself and stayed in the house with his mama, and he was his mother's favorite. So there's a lot going on in this story, but what I want to kind of dial in on is that when you have multiple children in the house, you have a significant responsibility about how you are going to balance that time, how you're going to balance that love and attention and all of that. And when you have children in the house getting preferential treatment over other children, or one gets preferential treatment over another child, if you read Genesis and look at the story of Joseph, Joseph's brothers were hating on him. So when I tell you the the Bible is full of dysfunctional families, it really is. When you have a child in the house that's getting preferential treatment, and I see this in the daughter-son dynamic all the time. I've had so many women, and I've witnessed this with my own eyes. The girls are raised with a different set of expectations. They are raised to toe the line, to take care of, to be on top of things, to manage, to facilitate, to succeed, to thrive. They have different rules and regulations about when they can come and go. It's a totally separate thing. The boys, on the other hand, I'm not saying all, but I have seen many. Okay, so don't hit me up on social media. I don't treat my son like that. And my mama, look, I didn't say all. I said many. Okay, so I've seen so many sons raised with a different set of expectations. The bar is set lower. They don't have to do the same kind of chores. They don't have to toe the line. And if they stay in the house lounging around that seems to be more okay than if the girl were to do the same thing so when there is preferential treatment when one person has to toe the line and do the work and and rise and succeed and perform and please and then the other child 
doesn't have to do that, doesn't have to jump over those hurdles to get love or praise or acceptance or belonging. There is going to be conflict in that house. And in this story in the Bible, Rebecca saw something in her youngest son, Jacob, that she did not see in Esau, so much so that she was willing to hurt one son to help the other. So if you continue to read this story, and we don't have time to get into it in the series, but basically she, when she found out that her husband was getting ready to bless Esau and give him his his blessing and his birthright and his inheritance, once she found that out, she concocted this plan for Jacob to get it instead. And so she was willing to hurt Esau in order to help Jacob. And not only that, she tried to hide Jacob from the consequences. And so once her scheme was found out, she tried to hide Jacob from the consequences. And mamas, sometimes that's not sometimes, more times than not, that's a big problem. You have to allow children to experience the full consequences for their actions. You cannot keep throwing yourself on the mat for your children and taking the blows for your children and what they call helicoptering and hovering and things like that. Because at some point that child is going to go out into the real world and guess what? You can't be everywhere all the time and they're going to get hit with a massive dose of reality and the world is not going to tolerate or coddle or cuddle or snuggle. You either do what you're supposed to do or you don't. You either toe the line or you don't. You either commit to your responsibilities or you face the consequences for not committing to those responsibilities. That's the way that the real world works. And so any dynamic that allows your child not to experience the full weight of those consequences as if that child is never going to leave your home is problematic. Okay, all of that is problematic. But there's a bigger issue here. So this is a family dynamic. We got two parents. We got two kids. Ephesians 5, 24. So we're jumping to the New Testament says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body as himself is its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So let me, I know I have some explaining to do because nowadays and today's modern age the word submit is like a four-letter word so let me give you some context here okay the word submit does not mean slave okay god has a plan for marriage god has a plan for family and he has a plan for wives but it doesn't mean that she needs to be off somewhere shining shoes and barefoot and pregnant that's not what this is saying when it says submit it's talking about a sense of respect of reverence of turning to case in point if you have a dilemma in your life that you can't figure out you are going to submit to or turn to someone that you trust to help you resolve the problem. And so this is saying turn to your husband, your life partner, because the Bible says that two shall become one flesh. And so it's not that you all are of one mind, but this is your partner in your life. Don't come off this podcast thinking that you got to go ironing shirts <laughs> and whatnot. If ironing shirts is not your ministry, then you go ahead and sit the, submit those shirts to the cleaners in Jesus' name and keep it moving. But here, the Bible is talking about wives submitting to husbands. And actually, in this same passage, a little bit further down, it says that husbands and wives should submit to one another. That is, turn to one another, respect one another out of love for one another. And so what Rebecca did, and concocting this scheme to deceive her husband was so disrespectful. It was so disrespectful to her husband. She might respect his check, his financial contribution, but does not respect his wishes, does not respect his views, does not respect when he disciplines his children. 
I've had women actually say to me, look, those my kids, even though she's talking about (laughs) the man that she's married to. I mean, yes, that is true. That yes, mama, those are your kids, but those are his kids too. And I'm not talking about, you know, some baby mama, baby daddy dynamic. I'm talking about same household. And so we have to start thinking about the long range consequences of some of these actions. Okay. So when children grow up, when sons and daughters grow up watching their moms disrespect the heck out of their dads or their dads disrespect the heck out of their moms, there's going to be some long range consequences for that. What does that teach the children about marriage and family? Where it's like, yeah, I might agree. And I might say, yeah, but then the children watch you go and do something else on the side. Children learn what they live. And so these origin stories, these things that we pick up along the way are going to teach us something and more times than not anchor something in our spirit that's going to carry into adulthood. So when Rebecca conspired to help Jacob, he didn't even want to do it. He was reluctant because he didn't want the, the karma. He didn't want the consequences of his actions to fall back and come back and bite him. And here's what Rebecca said. So when Rebecca was like, go and deceive your father, I'm going to hook it up and you go and deceive him and, and get the blessing. When Jacob said, I don't know, Ma, you know, this seemed like this is some shady stuff, you know, and I don't want the backlash to come on me. Her exact words, if you go and read that passage of scripture says, let the curse fall on me. Mamas, we have to stop enabling our sons in BS. We have to stop facilitating our sons in BS. You can advocate for your child without teaching him to lie and manipulate. Our sons need to experience the full weight of their choices and they need to learn how to respect another man's household because they're going to want that same respect when they grow up and have families of their own. And so this whole notion of having multiple children, but one of them is the favorite or having a son and you treat him better or differently than the daughter, that whole mama's boy. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, love your sons, but there are healthy ways to love your sons that don't create these expectations that when he grows up, there's going to be some woman there that's going to coddle him and do for him and pamper him and take the hit and on the mat for him so that he doesn't have to fulfill, I mean, experience the full weight of his consequences. That's not real life. That is not real life. And so many relationships are broken because of that sort of mentality. And then he has kids and the cycle just continues to perpetuate, which brings us to love and belonging. And for the record, I'm not male bashing and I'm not mom bashing. I'm pointing out some very real dynamics that happen in families that create conflict. And these are things that happened long ago. Because remember, go back to that definition of dysfunction. Other people in the family accommodate the dysfunction. They get used to it. They don't call it out. They don't call it on the carpet. They don't intervene to stop it. The other members of the family accommodate it. And after a while, a child can grow up to believe, well, this is normal behavior. And this is how I ought to be treated because this is how my mama treated me. Okay. So keep all of those dynamics in mind. All of this brings us to love and belonging. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, 
hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends or some versions say love never fails. So this scripture is the one that people read at weddings all the time. It is the gold standard of love. And this scripture represents the way that God loves us, okay, as his children. Unfortunately, in our families, we don't always love the same way. Even our children, we don't always love the same way. We are human. We fall short. I remember when I studied criminology, criminal justice. So actually, that was my original major. So before I went into education, my goal was to go into law enforcement. And I remember the studies that used to come out of that work in criminal justice and law enforcement and this striking statistic that the single biggest uniting factor between black and brown men who are currently serving time in prison, it wasn't poverty, it wasn't lack of education, it was fatherlessness. And I want to be clear, I'm not knocking mothers, I'm a single mother, and I am fully aware of what a sacrifice it is to do the work of two people, you have to cover that love deficit, when the father of your children isn't a consistent presence in their lives. And this area is a sore spot for many people. When Kobe Bryant and his daughter died in that tragic, tragic accident, and it just hit my heart so hard. I remember after that, there was a trend happening on social media, hashtag girl dad. And so many women felt stung by that because their fathers were absent. And boys feel that too. When their dads are not around, they feel that too. And I don't want to get into debates about gender roles and because that's not where I'm going with this. Where I am going with this is that God has a plan for marriage. God has a plan for family. And when we deviate from that plan, so many things can happen in our upbringing, in our stories that make it difficult for us to navigate our adult lives. And part of that is when there's a love deficit, when one child gets treated better than the other child, or when we don't feel that love that we feel our siblings got, or when we don't, sometimes we're an only child and we just don't feel that love at all because our parents are too busy being busy. All of that plays a role in our ability to feel love and belonging. And I think that because we're taught to just kind of pick up the pieces and keep it moving, that we don't stop to consider what are the long-term effects that this is having on my beliefs about being loved and belonging. What do you feel like you have to do to be loved? And the answer to that, so I'm going to shorten that trajectory for you. The answer to that is nothing. You don't have to do anything but exist because you are inherently worthy of love and belonging. But that is extremely hard for lots of people to believe, especially if they grew up in households that were full of abuse or neglect. And so I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I want you to give them some real thoughts. So if you have to replay this podcast a few times or if you have to pause and stop so that you can write these things down and give them some thoughtful consideration, then grab a pen, grab a pencil. And now is your time to do that. So my first question is, who taught you how to love yourself? Who taught you how to love yourself? And was it explicit? Meaning, was it obvious that people go out of their way to let you know that you were loved? Or was it implicit, you know, where people didn't really say it, but you were supposed to feel it, you know, you just kind of went along and, and through observation, through actions, you felt that people loved you or did you feel that? Okay. Do you believe that you right now with all of your gifts and all of your flaws are worthy of love right now as is that you don't have to do another thing. You don't have to gain another dollar. You don't have to lose another pound that right now, as you are, you are worthy of love, of, of love and belonging. Were you criticized? As a child, 
And when I say criticize, I don't mean, you know, pick up the socks off the floor. I mean, you stupid, you lazy, you this, were you criticized as a child? And did those criticisms become beliefs about who you are? Did your mother love herself? And how does she show it? How do you know that your mother loved herself? How does she show self-love and self-compassion to herself? If you have siblings, were you treated differently than your siblings? And how did that make you feel? And are you able to give the kind of love that you want to receive? Are you able to give the kind of love that you want to receive? And so I want you to marinate on those questions as we think about our origin stories, because the way that we love, the way that we expect love, the way that we engage and navigate in and out of relationships, all of that has to do with our origin stories. Where did we learn to do that? And we don't often take the time to kind of really reflect on that piece of it. But if you go to any therapist, even though you might have a very pressing problem that's right in your face, eventually, trust me, you and your therapist are going to get down to your origin story. You guys are going to do a walk back through your past so that you can connect the dots between what happened then and what's happening right now. So that is where we're going to stop for this episode in the series. In our next episode, We are going to talk about the code of silence. So when your childhood is less than perfect and when you experience some devastating traumas and the pain is exacerbated and compounded when we are threatened within an inch of our lives, that if we say something to anyone outside of the household about what we're going through, then we're going to be in big trouble. So we're going to be talking about those codes of silence and how that code of silence has impacted the way that we function as adults in our relationships. So one of the hallmarks and the benchmarks of healthy relationships is healthy communication, positive communication, constructive communication. It doesn't mean that you will never have difficult conversations, but can you have those things in a constructive, healthy, meaningful way where both people walk away from it feeling like they were respected in that dynamic? And for many of us, the answer is no, because when it's good, it's good. But when it's bad, it gets ugly. It gets mean. People start shaming and blaming. And we start throwing these emotional daggers of words and things that we just cannot easily walk back from. Okay, so we're going to be talking about how that began. Okay, how those codes of silence began in our origin stories. And so if you have any questions, comments, takeaways, you can hit me up at Dr. Shante Says. Make sure you use the hashtag whole and complete so that I can easily find your comments on social media. And I will say this. Thank you so much. I didn't know that you guys were already reviewing the podcast. So I read some reviews this morning that just really touched and blessed my heart. And I'm so grateful that you guys are taking the time to do that. And if you could, please, please rate and review the podcast. If you're anything like me, when you go on Amazon, you know, you have to read the reviews before you make a decision because it helps you decide whether or not this is something that people should invest in. And I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. And so in addition to sharing the podcast, if you could take the time to subscribe and to rate it and to review it and let people know the value that this is having in your life, I would so appreciate it because that's going to help spread this message and, and certainly my goal of helping to positively impact the lives of a million plus people. We can do that together. Remember, there is no algorithm between your fingertips and a friend, and there's no algorithm between your fingertips and being able to post a positive review about this podcast. And remember, if you want to sign up for the hope and healing sessions from the cancer series, then you can hit readytobelieve.com to do that. I'll be taking five sessions for that series, and I cannot wait to connect with you. I really believe that 
this podcast, listening to it is just kind of the beginning, but we're on to something. We're going to keep that ball rolling. And I want to be able to kind of personally connect you to resources that will help you facilitate the healing process if you feel that's what you need. So if you want to do that, head to readytobelieve.com and I will see you on the next episode in this series.